text is John 8, 48 to 59. This is the word of Almighty God. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he'll never taste death? Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died, and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It's my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you've not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You're not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Pray with me. Lord, we ask you to add your blessing to the reading and study of your word. Save souls that need saving. Convict hearts that need convicting. Comfort hearts that need comforting. Bring glory to your holy name. That is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. So, some things we feel strongly about. Some things we don't care about at all. Some things are in the middle. True? How strongly you feel about certain topics? Well, it depends on the topic, doesn't it? I'm going to bet that every one of you has an opinion about macaroni salad. You like it? Sometimes. Pro, pro, all right. You may like it, you may not. But seldom do you run across a person who has the level of love for macaroni salad that another person has for their favorite sports team. Think about it. You've seen guys out on the street wearing the jersey of their favorite football player. You seldom see an I heart macaroni salad t-shirt on anybody. I think Anthony has one. But other than that, other than that, you might hear somebody say, I don't care for macaroni salad. But you're unlikely to have somebody hear that and throw down. How dare you besmirch the good name of macaroni salad. I challenge you, sir. No. But there are some topics that require that we care, right? Some topics don't give you the opportunity to hold the middle of the road, I don't care, macaroni salad position. You know, one of the hard truths of the world in which we live is the strong division we see in the land in which we live. Years ago, political opponents could disagree even vehemently on a variety of issues, but they would ultimately find a middle ground. Right? They would find a place that they could somewhat compromise. 
If two groups disagreed on a taxation system or the extent of infrastructure projects or even on foreign policy, it used to be pretty darn possible that you could find a landing spot that wasn't completely one-sided. But today, do you guys really think that's possible most of the time? See, today there are very few safe spaces for compromise in the political arena. There are platform planks, many platform planks that parties have that by their very nature, they require you to be all or nothing regarding an issue. You guys get that, don't you? That there are some issues you can't be partly for and partly against. What's one? What's an issue we can't play with? It has to be all or it has to be nothing. Okay, I heard abortion over here. You know, you can't be truly pro-life and just somewhat for a little bit of abortion. It doesn't work. The issue of life is so important, though. You can't just not care either. You've got to have a position. And there's not middle ground. But today I want to look at a set of claims that Jesus makes in a conversation that absolutely cannot be ignored. Jesus is going to say a few things that you have to be all the way in on or all the way against, but there is no middle ground. The Savior leaves you no space for compromise in what he's going to say to us today. There is no room for a macaroni salad level opinion here. He lays it out in such a way, you and I are either going to be all for Jesus or all against Jesus. And honestly, I believe today you will leave here either all for or all against Jesus. In today's passage, we're going to conclude the discussion, the conflict that we've been watching for several weeks now between Jesus and the Jewish religious leaders during the Feast of Tabernacles. This whole conversation started in chapter 7. Jesus let the people know he is the giver of living water. That brought about a pretty harsh discussion between him and the Jewish teachers. Then in chapter 8, Jesus called himself the light of the world. That's a God reference. And he caused an even more harsh discussion between himself and the crowd. But today, Jesus is going to make sure that he takes the discussion of who he is to the ultimate extreme. There is no room for somebody to be on the fence regarding Jesus. Some people today, when they hear this in in the scripture and in this room, some will believe, some will seek to murder Jesus in the scripture, but nobody in this passage is left indifferent. We're going to walk through this final section of the conversation. We're going to uncover four points of application that you can write down if you're a writey-down kind of person. So let's get started. And here's the question. Who did Jesus claim to be? That's what we're going to learn in our points. So you ready to go? Point number one. Glorify Jesus to glorify God. Glorify Jesus to glorify God. Look at verses 48 to 50. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Let me ask you all, especially on some of these political issues that we just talked about. Have you ever noticed that once people run out of intelligent argument, they get mad and name-calling gets started? You ever notice that? You know, let's talk about this. Well, what about this? What about this? You're a Nazi. You know, I mean, that's just where the world goes today. 
And that's the level that the Jewish teachers stooped to in this discussion with Jesus today. In the previous verse, Jesus told the, the crowd, if you belong to God, you will hear what God says about Jesus and believe in him. He also says, the reason that you do not believe my words is because you do not belong to God. So in response, the Jews say Jesus has a demon and is a Samaritan. If they say Jesus has a demon, they're insulting him. They're saying he is evil. They're saying Jesus is possessed by the devil or one of the devil's minions. It's worse than today when you would say that somebody's mental, insane, nutty as a fruitcake. They're they're saying he he is evil and possessed. But what does it mean when they call Jesus a Samaritan? Now, don't let yourself think of the nice term, oh, he's a good Samaritan. That's not what they're talking about. The Jewish people of Jesus' day hated the Samaritan people, and they hated them with a passion. Years before, uh, the, the northern land of Israel was conquered by the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian king had the land resettled with some people that were from Israel, along with people who were from other people groups. And the result was a new nation. It was a new ethnic group. They were called Samaritans because the capital city of the northern kingdom was Samaria. And they developed a religion that was kind of loosely based on the law of God, but which was not faithful to the word of God. To the Jews, the Samaritans were a half-breed people, an unclean people who had perverted the word of God. So this crowd, they are name-calling, and it's nasty. Earlier they called Jesus someone of illegitimate birth. Now they're trying to get worse because they're calling Jesus possessed and Samaritan. That's about as ugly as they know how to get. So Jesus' response, though, is kind of cool. He gives us really two logical premises with an obvious implied conclusion. Jesus said, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, you dishonor me. So Jesus just lets them know, y'all, I don't have a demon. He ignores the Samaritan comment. Here you get two premises in a logical argument. Premise number one, Jesus honors his father God. Premise number two, the Jews dishonor Jesus. What do you guys think the logical conclusion is to draw from those two statements? The Jews dishonor God. Right? This is not tough logic here. If Jesus truly magnifies the Lord, and if the crowd truly opposes Jesus, they are opposing the one who magnifies the Lord. To oppose magnifying God is to oppose God. And I think even the simplest among us can see that if somebody is really honoring God, we don't want to be opposing that. Then in verse 50, Jesus tells us two things. They both need a little explanation and balance for us here. Jesus says, yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. So what does Jesus mean by the statement that he does not seek his own glory? What does he mean by his indication that God the Father is the judge? So when Jesus says, I do not seek my own glory, let me ask you, do you think Jesus is saying, therefore no one should glorify me? What's your guess? I hear one no. The rest of you are confused. Should we glorify Jesus? What's your guess? Let's go with yes on that, right? Otherwise, all those songs don't make any sense. We just did. Jesus is not saying not 
that he should not be glorified. What Jesus is saying is he is not alone in bringing glory to his own name. Others, including God the Father, are going to glorify Jesus. Now, how do we know Jesus thinks like this? Well, about six months in the future, he's going to pray this. In John 17, verses 1 through 3, Jesus says, or well, the Bible says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, here's Jesus, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Understand, Jesus is not at all denying that he is worthy of glory. Jesus is simply telling us that he doesn't have to glorify himself in order to be glorified. The Father, the Holy Spirit will glorify him. What about the claim that Jesus is not the judge? the, The one who glorifies me is the judge. Just a bit ago, though, didn't Jesus tell us that he was the judge? Do y'all remember that? John 5, 22 to 24. For the Father judges no one, Jesus said but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So what gives? Is Jesus the judge or not? Is the Father the judge or not? Jesus knows that the crowd in front of him, they think Jesus is standing alone. They think Jesus is seeking his own glory. They think Jesus is magnifying himself based on his own best judgment. Jesus tells them that, in fact, God the Father is going to glorify him. God the Father is the one who has the right to decide whether or not Jesus does what honors him. God the Father is the one who will judge what honors him. Back in chapter 5, Jesus told the crowd that when the day of the Lord comes, Jesus is going to be the one enthroned. Jesus is going to be the one who declares everyone's eternal destiny. It is up to Jesus whether you are forgiven or judged. And in that sense, Jesus is the judge. But as regards whether or not Jesus honors the Father, the Father judges, not Jesus, not the people. What you see here is a very beautiful, very biblical working of the Holy Trinity. There's one God, and this one God is revealed to us in the persons of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. These persons are truly God, not parts of God. These persons are distinct persons. These persons are the one God that should make your brain hurt. The Second London Baptist Confession of 1689, which now we know why it came out in 1689, said, These three have the same substance, power, and eternity, each having the whole divine essence without this essence being divided. That's well said. God the Father is the judge. He hands the act of judgment over to the Son. Yet all who reject the Son are rejecting the only way to avoid the judgment of God, the united will of the Holy One. If the crowd dishonored God by dishonoring Jesus, we should expect, friends, that the same thing is true for you and me. 
You cannot please God without honoring the Son of God. God has sent His Son Jesus to earth and honoring and believing in Jesus is the only way that you might ever please the Father. To think for a moment that anybody can please God while refusing to follow Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is absurd. Therefore, if you wish to glorify God, you can do so only by glorifying Jesus. Let me illustrate for you here. Years ago, this was a a news thing. I have no idea if this still exists anymore. But years ago, there was a church in Kansas called the Westboro Baptist Church. Remember that name, anybody from the news? They would travel to the funerals of United States military personnel who had been killed overseas. And they would go outside of the funeral home and they would demonstrate with signs and picketing and yelling and all the rest, saying that that these soldiers died in vain, that that, that their, their death was because God was judging them and judging our evil nation. Can you imagine the level of insult that a family would have felt? They're grieving the loss of their loved ones who gave their lives in service of their country to the best way they knew how. And right across the street are people who are saying that they're Christians, but they're calling, they're saying the family, they lost their loved one in vain, that it meant nothing, that no good came of the sacrifice. Let me just ask you, if you're a dad and that's your son, if you're a mom and that's your son or a daughter in the funeral home, if you're a husband and that's your wife in there, if you're a wife and that's your husband in the casket, how, how would you have felt toward the people across the street saying that this was good that it happened, that your loved one was dead because God was judging them? What do you guys think your emotional reaction would be? Got some anger? Yeah. Now, I want you to take that level of emotion that you would feel as the people demonstrate at your relative's funeral and I want you to magnify that emotion a thousand times. You're still not caught up to the level of fury that God the Father will express toward those who dishonor His Son. God sent His Son to earth to suffer an infinitely horrible punishment that He might pay for our sins. What do you expect God to do in response to somebody who says to God, I don't really need Jesus' blood. I'm just fine on my own. I will pull myself up by my own bootstraps. Thank you very much. I don't really believe in Jesus. I don't really want to follow Jesus. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 to 31 read, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Tremble, ladies and gentlemen. Tremble 
at the concept of any person spurning the blood of the Son of God. God will not take lightly anyone's refusal to place his or her faith in Jesus Christ. Would you like to escape that kind of wrath, that kind of spiritual death? Do you want to honor God? Then you must honor God first by believing in Jesus. Remember, God will judge. Do not dishonor God by dishonoring his son. Honor God by believing in Jesus. Glorify Jesus to glorify God. Point number two, second one to write down. Keep Jesus' word for eternal life. Keep Jesus' word for eternal life. John 8, verses, verse 51 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. You get a double truly at the beginning. That's an indication for, that we, for us that we should listen closely because Jesus has something really important he wants you to hear. And what's the call? It's a simple one. Keep Jesus' word. And I think it starts with truly belief. You do that, you can live forever. When Jesus says you'll never die, the death he is referring to is the wrath of God that I just read to you about in Hebrews 10. Listen to me. When your physical life ends, and it will, you will stand before God and you will face the judgment of God. If you have rejected the Son of God, if you have refused to receive the the, the forgiveness of the Son of God, you will face the wrath of God for eternity in hell. You will spiritually, eternally die. There's no longer hope for you at that point. There's no longer an offer of forgiveness, a second chance post-death. There is only ahead of you an awful forever of suffering and pain and torment and true death. But thanks be to God, that death does not need to be your eternity. Do you get the value of that, that that does not have to be your future? It doesn't even have to be the eternity of people you love if we're willing to keep Jesus' word. If we're willing to keep his word, he says you will live forever even if you physically die. You're going to be judged by God, forgiven of your sin, and allowed by God to enter an eternity of perfection. What does it mean to keep Jesus' word? It means you follow what Jesus said. How do you do that? You hear it, you believe it. What does that mean? You hear the word, you believe the word, you trust the word, you begin to treasure the word, you begin to obey the word, you follow the word. Now, I'm not saying to you that if you follow the commands in the Bible that that's what saves you, because it doesn't. But... Genuine saving faith starts with hearing the word of God and putting your, your soul's hope in Jesus. This is the same concept as believing. Remember giving assent that changed it, leads to changed affections and actions that we've talked about for the last couple of weeks. But listen to me, a life devoid of the word of God is very likely a life devoid of the son of God. What will happen if you believe God's word? If you believe God's word, you will believe that you have sinned against God. 
and you will cry out to Jesus in faith for mercy. Lord Jesus, please save me. You then will be saved because you put your entire trust for your entire eternity in Jesus and Jesus alone. And your salvation will then produce evidences that you know God. Living a life of progressive sanctification according to the revealed word of God. That means you get better as you continue to follow the word of God toward God. That's a symptom of having true saving faith. And this is why Jesus says that keeping his word leads to eternal life. God saves us by his grace through faith alone. No act you do saves you. But true saving faith always leads to a life of growth and service of God, which can only happen as you keep Jesus' word. So the application here is actually simple. Keep Jesus' word, live forever. Believe in Jesus in keeping with his word. Follow Jesus in keeping with his word. Center your life around the word of Jesus, surrendering to him in every way, and you will know that you will live forever. Now, we know that it's likely that our bodies are going to die if Jesus doesn't come back first. But your soul is going to live forever. And if you have Jesus, it will live, you will live awake, aware, alive in paradise with God forever if you will trust Jesus and keep his word. Third point, believe Jesus's superiority. Believe Jesus's superiority. Verses 52 to 53, the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets, yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? The Jews have a really tough time with Jesus' words. This is not a surprise, by the way. He's just made an astounding claim. As we've seen with almost every element of this conversation from John 7 through John 8, the crowd here is only able to think in a temporal way about the words of Jesus. So the concept of his followers not dying blows the minds of the Jews. Not only is the concept of people living forever tough for them to imagine, but what that would say about Jesus is just beyond them. Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel, died. All of the great prophets of old died. If Jesus can make people live forever, he must be claiming to be superior to even the prophets, even Abraham himself. That concept is absurd to this Jewish crowd. Verses 54 to 56, Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It's my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he's our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So Jesus' response to the Jews tells us an incredible amount. In this instance, goes from the greater down to the lesser. Verse 54, Jesus tells the Jews, it's not my job to make claims about myself. I'm not doing it by myself. If I'm I'm making empty claims, they mean nothing. 
But Jesus said, my father is going to glorify me. My father's going to make all the claims about me that need to be made. Oh, and by the way, Jesus points out for the Jews that his father is the person they call God. Jesus is claiming the Lord God as his very own father, making himself equal with God. Then in verse 55, Jesus gets right in the faces of the Jews. He says, y'all don't know God. Jesus says, I know God. He says, I can't pretend not to know God if I pretend, if I, if I, if I put on false modesty, if I claim not to know God, then I'm going to be as big a liar as you guys are. And then Jesus lets them know he knows God and he keeps God's word, doing exactly perfectly what God has commanded him to do. Then to answer the Abraham comparison, Jesus blows their mind again. Verse 56, Jesus tells the Jews, The great Abraham rejoiced at the concept of seeing Jesus show up. Indeed, Jesus says, Abraham saw my day and was glad. He's explaining to these guys, he is above Abraham. He's the source of Abraham's hope. He's the source of Abraham's joy. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 to 10, speaking of Abraham, says, By faith... Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham looked forward to the final fulfillment of God's promises when God's going to do everything he said he would do. That is the day of the Lord. That is the day of Jesus. It gave Abraham joy to hope in that day. Abraham hoped in Jesus even if he didn't know the name Jesus two millennia before Jesus was on earth. So in this little section, Jesus makes clear his superiority to every single man who has ever walked the earth because Jesus is greater. To the Jews, no man had higher rank than Abraham. Jesus puts himself above Abraham. Jesus connects himself to God himself. Jesus clearly places himself in a position above every other human being. And by the way, this will work for any other world religion as well. Nobody has ever claimed to be deity walking the way Jesus does. And all the ones who ever even came close to saying things like that died and stayed dead. Jesus did not. So this morning, in your heart, bow to the superiority of Jesus. And make no mistake about it, if you honor Jesus, your life is going to reflect it. If you bow to Jesus' superiority, you're going to bow to that superiority in every aspect of your life. Christians, start paying attention and stop thinking that I'm just talking about people out there. If you bow to Jesus, you will learn to do that which you do to honor Jesus. You will eat to honor Jesus. You will spend your money to honor Jesus. You will give gifts to honor Jesus. You will guard your physical purity, your sexual purity to honor Jesus. You will find your entertainment in ways that honor Jesus. You will study to honor Jesus. You will think to honor Jesus. You will love your spouse to honor Jesus. And if you're single, you will be sweetly single to honor Jesus. 
part of your life right now do you need to rearrange that it might honor Jesus? Your schedule, your commitment to come into worship, your commitment to serve, your commitment to your brothers and sisters in Christ, your commitment to fellowship. Think about it. Fourth point. This is the big one. This is where this passage has been going for two months. Believe Jesus is God. Capital G. Believe Jesus is God. 57 and following, so the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, I truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Thinking only in a this worldly way, the Jews point out that Jesus is not old enough to have hung out with Abraham. They're like, hey, you don't even look like you're 50. In fact, he's likely around 32, 33. Abraham was alive around 2,000 years before that time. So in the minds of the Jews, Jesus must be nuts. No way could Abraham have seen him and rejoiced in him. And then Jesus makes a statement that carries the force of a nuclear bomb. It starts with the double truly, telling us, listen and listen good. Then Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And the way that that verb tense reads, friends, Jesus is using an eternal present to speak of himself. Literally, he says that he exists. Before Abraham's time, he exists. Jesus says, I exist more than 2,000 years before now. Jesus is claiming to have eternal, never beginning, always and forever existence. John 1, 1 began, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. But besides claiming a forever existence, the phrase I am carries with it an incredible meaning. Listen to God from Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God calls himself, I am. John 8, 58 uses the very same phrase as in the Greek translation of the Old Testament where God calls himself, I am. Jesus, with that phrase, can only be making one and one only clear claim. No options. Jesus is claiming to be God. God the creator. God who led Moses and the Israelites out of the wilderness. John 1, 1 actually reads, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. 
And lest anybody argue that claiming to be God is not what Jesus just did, look at verse 59. The Jews immediately, without hesitation, pick up stones because they want to kill Jesus now. They're not waiting for a trial. They're not picking up stones in verse 57, right? Verse 57, they're still yelling at him about, you're not even 50, you goofball. But something changed with what Jesus said in verse 58 that changed what the Jews thought. They were going to just laugh at him and mock him. They called him crazy. Now they think he's uttered blasphemy and they want to kill him. Why? Why did they change? Because they know beyond the shadow of a doubt, Jesus just claimed to be God. And since they assume he can't be God, they assume that he's blasphemous and needs to be killed. Which is, by the way, an alternative they fail to carry out. Because it's not time for Jesus to die. Our sovereign God will not let it happen just yet. Because, guys, can't anybody defeat Jesus? So how do we respond to this statement from Jesus? If Jesus is God in the flesh, you've got to worship him. Nothing else makes any sense, does it? If Jesus is not God, however, you should reject him. You should hate him as either the greatest liar or the biggest fool the world has ever known. But if Jesus is God, you've got to give him your very life. So what are you going to do? Will you honor God by honoring Jesus, God's son? Or will you dishonor God by rejecting or ignoring his son? Will you keep Jesus' word by placing your faith in Jesus and living forever? Or will you refuse to keep Jesus' word and die eternally? Will you bow to Jesus' superiority, believing him to be more than the greatest man who ever lived? Or will you reject him completely by supposing him to be just some other religious figure on the map? Will you bow to Jesus' deity, calling him your Lord and your God? Or will you call him a crazy liar like the Jews did? The choice that you make about Jesus is the most important choice you will ever make in your entire life. I urge you, don't miss it. I urge you to believe in Jesus. Place your trust in Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. Ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. You can do that. You can do that today by the grace of God. Why in the world would you not? And if you have trusted Jesus, don't fail to follow through. If you call Jesus your Savior, you have to have called him your Lord too. So worship him as your God. Keep his word. Follow him with every aspect of your life. Anything less than that. Anything less than following Jesus with your whole life dishonors him and it dishonors God. There is no such thing as a semi-devotion to Jesus. There is no such thing as being a little for and a little meh about Jesus. This is an all or nothing proposition. Who does Jesus claim to be? He claims to be God. What are you going to do with it? Let's pray together. Lord God, as we bow here, 
I ask you this. I ask that you would give your people the, uh, the ability to trust you, to believe you, to follow you, to find life in Jesus. Bring people to repentance. And for Christians, I pray that you will help Christians here to love Jesus, worship Jesus, obey Jesus more because we realize how great he is our Savior. God, be magnified. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.